0: Human beings yes. are not created to be able to deal with having fear in their heart. They're not created to deal with that. Neither can a human being sit in the place where they have fear in their heart for any period of time without them needing it to be weeded out. Right. What I mean by that is if you sit in the place where you have fear in your heart, if you don't find that fear... Uh, perfect it with the love of God, what's going to happen is your heart, you, you don't even need to know this. Like I'm describing the little man in your heart that's busy doing things that you don't even know till like way down the road after it's already done, right? The, the thing that your heart is doing is it's now creating things to remove the fear itself. And mostly what it's creating is beliefs and doctrines to try to deal with the fear that it feels in its heart. Right. And we'll, the reason why I bring this up isn't just for our benefit here, but, but for the benefit of everybody that will listen to this and, and weigh things in their own life and weigh doctrines about God in their own life and how these things are formed. Mm. Right. When we're in, in, confronted with things in the world, we don't like things in the world that are filled with fear that's when we're being tempted to create a belief unto ourselves to try to deal with that fear. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's running rampant right now. You see it specifically in the political spectrum. Well, everybody and their mother is coming with a belief, and the father of all, every belief they come with is how we're going to remove the fear we feel at the sight of all these things. Yeah. Right? right? That's worshiping the works of your own hands. Yes. Now, in the body of Christ... I see that same thing has become like the father of most erroneous doctrines that we're ever confronted with. Mm. And we'll use just a couple of erroneous doctrines. Universalism, right? The idea that you're not going to live by the heart like God does and that you don't need to have the spirit of faith dwelling in you in order to have eternal life. Right? The reason that doctrine has been formulated is because people felt discomfort and fear at the thought that someone they know or someone they love might perish. And because they didn't go to God to get the fear dealt with, they create a doctrine that can now deliver themselves from the fear. Right. You see the same thing with the preterism, which was what I was commenting on this post about. Right. What was so interesting to me is that the whole reasoning behind the whole post is we got to stop believing that there's still tribulation to come so that people can be delivered from the fear. (laughs) And I'm just scratching my head, and I'm like, listen, man, if we think the power to be delivered from fear is to now come and be persuaded, we're not going to encounter tribulation in the world That's not being delivered by Christ crucified, which says we're dead to the world and the world to us, right? And so the whole premise behind the, the building of this doctrine is the idea that because people in the church have believed that there's a great tribulation that could come, that filled them with fear. So they say the fear isn't right. They're right about that. Well, then they say the answer to deliver them from the fear is we must now stop saying that there could be any great tribulation. Well, that's not Christ crucified. And it's looking to the kind of deliverance that the world can give you, right? Because what the world would say to you is if you can situate your life in the place where it can be preserved from any tribulation, then you'll be delivered from fear. That's what the world promises you, sure, right? Well, that's the same thing these guys are saying, right? Mm -hmm. They love the world. They say the church has been filled with fear because of what they've been taught about the Great Tribulation. Well, I don't say that what the church has been taught about the Great Tribulation isn't wrong and isn't perverted and doesn't need to be made straight, but the answer to them being delivered from the fear isn't for them to now be taught that there is no such thing as tribulation. Right? I mean, Jesus himself said, in the world, you will encounter tribulation. So just forget for a moment whether or not you believe there's still a Great Tribulation or not. Every human being in this world is going to encounter tribulation. And... I promise you, every human being that encounters tribulation thinks it's great. (laughs) I don't mean great like they like it, like tell them you're a tiger, tell them... I don't mean like that. I mean like they think the size of the tribulation (laughs) is gigantic. Because it's their own personal life. Right? right? Now Jesus didn't say the power for you to be delivered from the fear that comes from the tribulation in the world is if you can believe that there isn't any tribulation. (laughs) He didn't say that. What he said was, I have overcome the world. Fear not. Right? So, we see fear in the hearts of the church. And what the church ought to be preaching isn't some preterist doctrine. It's a message about how Jesus overcame the death in the world through the body of his cross and the body of his resurrection right? The preaching that will deliver people from fear isn't to come and create some preterism doctrine. What the, the power for people to be delivered from fear is for them to now see they were crucified with Christ, they're dead to the world and the world to them, right? So what that means is, is that if I see tribulation, or I see there can be tribulation in the earth, or I can see there could be great tribulation in the earth, the power for me to overcome that is to see that my life is not hid in the world, that my life is hid with Christ in God. Right? That's the power. That's what we should be teaching people. That's why Paul said, I purpose to know one thing in your midst, Christ crucified. He didn't say, I purpose to know one thing in your midst so you can be delivered from fear, preterism. <laughs> right? No, absolutely. No. Or universalism. Yeah. Or any isms. All these isms are by definition man-made doctrines. That are not Christ crucified. <clears throat> right? There's a reason, Paul said, I purpose to know nothing in your midst save Christ crucified. Okay? It's so, it's so interesting that you... Actually, it's not interesting. It's God. I was sitting
1: on the deck enjoying the morning, and it was just like the thought of... I'm thinking of all these moms who are trying to be saviors to their kids. Yeah. Right? The fear is so overwhelming in their heart mm-hmm. that they don't see anything else, but what can I do to keep to my kids safe, to preserve their lives? I'm thinking, you know, you got an app called Life Three Sixty, which is a great app. But I bet every mother is looking at that thing all the time. Where's my kid? What are they doing? Where's my kid? What are they doing? Keep it. and not just kids, but spouses as well. Because they want to be they want to be savior to their kids and their spouses and friends.
0: Or well, they want to save themselves and what they think their spouse Bingo. may be doing. Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Listen, man, yeah. that's not the god, god No. And neither does no. that cometh from God. It's another construct of the Adam mind, which the Adam mind is going to try to produce the same thing in this earth right. that God can produce. Yes. But it's going to use different metrics. So what can God do? God can preserve your child's life from the death in the world. Do you know how he does that? He absorbs the death that could come against your child into his own body. He gives his own body to be broken so that in his body being broken, his eternal life can ooze out of him onto your child. And your child can be pitched within and without with the life that can't die right? Yes. That's God's way. The world's way is we're going to keep inventing things that you can implement to keep your child from ever encountering the world or ever encountering any danger or ever encountering anything. That's what we're going to do so you can preserve the life of your child. And even should you get it right to keep the life of your child protected all the way until they reap a ripe old age of 120, they're still going into the grave yeah. under that system, right? right? Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, you've now taken on the weight of God. And that will crush you. It will crush anyone, yeah. right? That's not the power to be delivered from fear. In fact, that'll fill you with more fear and anxiety. It's filled with labors and annoyances. Mm-hmm. Do you know how annoying it is to all the time be picking up your phone, wondering where your child is and if they're okay? Yeah. Does that sound like peace? No. No, it doesn't, does not it? It's an annoyance. It's a labor, right? Just like Cindy talked about, the labor and annoyance of looking through Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. It's filled with labors and annoyances. That's not the life of God. And so the answer, if you're filled with fear, this is what people don't like. This whole world spends all its time trying to, this is what I was just talking about that the heart will do. This whole world spends all of its time trying to create a philosophy whereby they can say they're preserved. Yes. Right, we try to to build a philosophy that tells us how we are gonna be kept from the thing we fear the most. And what we gonna do to keep ourselves from the fear of uh, the thing we fear the most. Well, God would come and say, God would come and bring out the thing you're afraid of the most. And then he would sit that thing next to him and next to his eternal life. And that's how he would pluck the fear out of you, right? He doesn't try to pretend that that's not there. We try to pretend how we can be kept from the thing we're afraid of. God's like, this thing you're afraid of, what, what's the worst that can happen? That's how God plucks it out. What's the worst that could happen? Okay, now put the worst that could happen next to his eternal life and watch what his eternal life does to the worst that can happen. I promise you, the worst that could happen to you or any of your kids is what happened to Jesus on Calvary. That's the worst that could happen. And guess what God did? Guess what that looked like next to God's eternal life? It looked like zero. A light affliction. A light affliction. Right? But we don't want to deal with fear that way because we... No, 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 no. no We don't want to go to the cross. No, 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 no. That's the carnal mind. No, no, no. No, no, no. I don't want to think about... I don't want to confront the worst that could happen. I mean, even in the world, the world has like so much hypocrisy, it's obscene. But even in the world, the philosophy in the world even agrees with what I just said because one of the main teachings about... the world teaches you about how to overcome your fear is to do what? Confront it. <laughs> you afraid of heights? Now go get up and jump off a bridge do some bungee jumping, jump out of a freaking plane and watch that fear go away. Yeah. Right? And so, the other side, the hypocrisy in the world is now we're going to deal with the fear we feel by cr- building up walls all around our lives that we can look to those walls and those walls can convince us the thing we're the most afraid of can never happen to us. Right? You know where that leaves you? Completely destroyed should anything bad happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Where's God? Yeah. What happened? Right. Where's God? He entered into the body of your death and came out of the grave in a body that could never die again and come and give it to you as a free gift. That's where God is. Amen. Right? Yes. Where's God? He's in the middle of the death that you're glorifying in your heart, having conquered it with the light of his life. Yes. That's where God is. Right. He did, God actually did the only thing that could protect us the only thing that could preserve us. When God looked at how to preserve our lives, he didn't look in the world and think that the world had things that could preserve our lives. Do you know why? Because the world is but dust and it's perishing. And so when God wanted to preserve our lives, when he wanted to protect our lives, what he saw was is there's nothing in the world that can actually protect these guys' lives. The only thing that can protect these guys' life is the ark of my indestructible life. Let me build them a body. Let me build them an ark that they can get up into, that they can be sealed and pitched within and without from the destruction in this world. That's what he did when he raised a body out of the grave, the man Jesus, in glorified immortal flesh. That's the thing he's doing. He's trying to tell you, I will protect your life. I will protect the life of your children, right? Look, take the worst that you think that could happen. And put it next to that. Right? This thing will deliver you in every area of your life. Do you, do you, know, do you know what's being planted in your kids? If you're busy living like that? Yeah. Fear. Fear. It, it ain't life. No. It's anxiety. Do you know why there is a mental health crisis in the world today? Do you know why there's a mental health crisis that is obscene and through the roof? Do you know why the large percentage of Americans are on antidepressants and such? Trying to deal with fear and anxiety. Right? Listen, and I blame mostly my generation. I think it's grown in each generation, and every, there's nothing new under the sun. I get that. But I notice in my generation, the parents really grabbed the hold of this. Our children must never feel discomfort. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in the day our children feel discomfort, they're, they're, they're gonna die. We started that. Our kids are the millennials. They have now created this idea of, there's so much fear and anxiety, I feel, I have to be in a safe space. So that I never encounter anything that could ever make me feel uncomfortable. <clears throat> or they feel like they failed as parents, and then if they fail as parents, that creates more fear. In their, in, That's exactly in their, right. And it's a perpetual circle. They want to be justified as parents, and if their kids ever feel discomfort, that means they're a bad parent. Yep. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. That is absolutely right. And so there's an epidemic of fear and anxiety in the world. Right? And what's sad is, like, it's in the body of Christ as much, if not more, than the world. And it's because the body of Christ is not busy with the body of Christ. <laughs> the body of Christ is not busy with the fact that our Lord, God himself, gave his body to be broken for us, right? That the grace in his life could ooze out onto us, right? We're not busy with that. We're busy with something completely different. And that's, that is a grievous thing, man. I know, and for me when I see it, and it's a grievous thing for God when he sees it, not in the sense of him being disappointed in people, but in the sense of, man, he's actually done something to deliver us from fear. It is exceedingly above all we could ever ask or think, but we ain't busy with that, right? We busy with something else. And so he's watching a people whom he loves, a people who he gave his own body to be broken for because his desire was mercy. His desire was to comfort us with his life. Yeah. He sees what he did to secure us in our time of need, which is when we're walking in this earth, and we're not even busy with it, right? right? We're not even talking about it or looking to it,
1: right? Yeah. You know, the, the world came up with one good term that actually is, is, is true. And that is you know the idea that you can't legislate morality and but when you look at the world that is what it is doing (laughs) it it tries to legislate a life or principles in life morality which will save them from things that they think are gonna come upon them and cause them hurt and the problem is everybody's sense of morality or idea of morality is different. Everybody, the yes. Republicans think one thing, the Democrats think one thing. Mm-hmm. All the different religions, Christian and otherwise, all have their different concepts of morality, and they are living by those principles and those ideas, and it it cuts them off from the life that is in God that is trying to uh, to be their life. It, it, it cuts that off. Yeah.
0: Not because that, not because that, they're
1: living according to principles.
0: Absolutely. And not only is it just that everyone's is different, and it's true, everyone's is different, and that's why you see divisions and wars, yeah. right? But not only that, even should we get everybody to agree <laughs> in one ideology, that will produce more death. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It won't produce more life, that's right? right? Every household, the, the mother and the father come together and decide what they're going to implement to preserve their child. Right, And much of what the parents today are implementing to preserve their life for their child, I promise you it's producing fear and anxiety because they're parenting from the foundation of fear and anxiety. And if you're parenting from the foundation of fear and anxiety, I promise you the word that is being made flesh in your kids is fear and anxiety. That's what's being reproduced in them. Right? (laughs) You're actually reproducing death in them. Because it's death in you that's causing you to parent that way. And now you're reproducing the death that has stung you with fear inside of your kids whom you're trying to protect and preserve. That's why it's so deceiving. Because we start with the good thing. It is not evil to desire nothing to happen to your child. It is not evil to desire for your child to only have a good go of it and for (coughs) nothing to ever go wrong. That is a pure good thought to have. That's why it's so deceiving. right? But then we don't weigh that in light of what is it that can actually preserve and protect my child where is it that life is actually found
1: it's a form of godliness denying the power
0: thereof that's exactly right that's the best way anyone could say it it has a form of godliness but it denies the power thereof right that's exactly what it is right and we say all these things I I say this all the time because people will misunderstand me that don't listen here. We don't say all these things to be ashamed of each other or people that we know. We say all these things because we've been delivered from shame. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: We say all these things because in light of being delivered from shame, let us talk about the things that really matter in our lives and in our hearts. Let us talk about the thing that will actually be fruitful in our children's lives. Let us talk about that, right? Let us talk about that. I mean, what good is it... I protect my child from the world, but I do it by locking them in a room. (laughs) What's worse? That they lived for 10 years and died? Or that they spent 100 years locked in a room? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do we think that Jesus didn't live a full life? No. Do we think somehow Jesus didn't, you know, live life to the fullest? I would argue that Jesus is the only human being that actually lived life to the fullest. Right? Yet yeah. yeah, he finds himself nailed to a cross at the age of 33. Well, the world would say he didn't live his life to the fullest. Right? Yeah. right. Do you think, we'll just use the Father and Son example for this. Jesus as the Son of Man, looking to God as his Father. Do you think that the Father didn't desire to protect Jesus' life?
2: No, of course not.
0: Do you don't think he did?
1: I think that he did desire. Okay, it. he yeah. did
0: desire. It. So, will we now say that he did not
1: no.
0: protect no. and preserve Jesus' life because of the cross?
1: <laughs> I mean, he.
0: Right? You see, our, our our heart. See, it reveals the contradiction in our hearts about God. Yes, you bet. Right? Yeah. Do you, do you think Jesus believed the Father wasn't protecting his life? No. Okay, so the point is, they have a different view of what protection is. They have a different right. view of what life is. Yes. Well, of course, that's yeah. how you have a different view of what protection is. Yeah. They the, both
1: knew that the best was yet to come.
0: They both knew that protection could only be found in a resurrected, glorified body. Right. And death being overcome. Right. It wasn't found in being kept from the death in the world. It was found in overcoming it. Right, It wasn't found in hiding away and not going to the cross. They didn't see it that way. The world sees it that way. Why do you think Peter picked up the sword when they come to take Jesus? Mm-hmm. You, you think? I mean, we can look at the scriptures and say what Peter did was evil. But do you think the intent in Peter's heart was evil? No. His intent was to preserve Jesus' life. Exactly. Well, isn't that what the Father was after? Yeah. It even, the, the scriptures talk ad nauseum about God preserving his lineage, his heritage, eternally, and so you see the father's way of protecting Jesus does not look like Peter's way, but Peter sat with the good thought mm-hmm. I mean remember when Peter when Jesus was telling Peter that the Son of Man must suffer at the hands of men and be lifted up and would it, let it never be said, Lord, why did he say that? because the idea of the person he loved. <laughs> suffering in the world made him think we got to keep that from happening. And what he was thinking is we're going to preserve your life from the suffering in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus and God, the Father, Jesus is God. They all knew that that's not how you preserve someone from suffering.
3: It's almost comical that Peter thought he could just like parents think they could. Like a Life360 app is not going to prevent a car accident or robbery or anything else. That's right. But it's like I don't know. I guess parents think like if I see every moment, I can stop it before it happens. Yeah. Just like Peter thought he could.
0: That's exactly right. And it, it is funny. Comical when we see it that way. And listen, I'm not indifferent to pain and confusion and hurt. But what I see God's always done with me is he shines the light. Yeah. And this is not to be indifferent. This isn't about how we're going to use our willpower to not care. That's not what this is about. This is about, let us get down to the nitty-gritty and talk about where we want is actually found. And let us start confronting it. Right? I understand why parents feel this way. It makes sense to me. I'm not like, how could it be that they feel this way? When I look at the body of Christ suffering at the hands of the fear and anxiety, I'm not like, how could it be that it's this way? It makes sense to me why it's there. I mean, listen, man, in Jesus' day... How long do you think it took for them to hear that there was some tragedy a thousand miles away? Yeah. Whether they even heard it at all. Our dear friend Bertie Brits is off in Zambia right now. Do you know what those people don't know anything about? What happened in Houston. Do right. you know what else they don't know anything about? What happened in Buffalo. you know what else they don't know anything about? That there is such a guy as Trump and Biden. you know what else they don't know anything about? That the government in America is doing what the government in America is doing. They don't know anything about that. They don't even know there's such a thing as COVID. Lucky guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right? That's right? So
0: I say all that because back in that day, these people, the parents, were not inundated with right. information in real time of all the tragedies happening everywhere. Today, yeah. we know in real time. And we don't just know in real time. We all take the social media so we can make sure we further it along into everyone. Mm. <laughs> The same fear and death and anxiety that we've been filled with, let us now reach out and touch someone. Mm. Try to find that live feed and get that live feed going all the time. Right. Yeah. Where the post we should be making is where we sympathize and we feel empathy and we identify with the fear that can come to someone's house. And then we ought to come with the solution yeah. right underneath it. Right? Yeah. The real solution. Yeah. Good news. Right? Right. I mean, the heart works. There's, there's a reason why the government and the CIA and all these governments have, have realized or used propaganda. There's a reason why the news media uses propaganda. Do you know why? Because they realize the way the human heart works. And if you repetitively expose the human heart to certain stimuli, you mm-hmm. can shape and influence what it sees, what it thinks, how it feels. That's why they do it. Yeah. That's why they do it. Why do you think the gospel is a word preached? Mm. The thing about the gospel is it isn't propaganda because it's the only truth. (laughs) But God also knows this. And so he comes preaching the gospel. That's why it says that he chose by the foolishness of preaching. (laughs) Right? Yes. Absolutely. That's why, I mean, honestly, that's probably for myself, that's the reason why I would come to church. If I run down the list of coming to church, I'm coming to church to sit at the feet of Jesus and talk about the word made flesh with a group of people and to share life with the group of people, right? Yeah. And to commune with the group of people, but all centered around the word made flesh. That's what we should be talking about at church. Do you know why? Because it will heal our hearts from fear. You bet. It will keep our hearts from fear. Yeah. And we'll be able to live a full life in this world that isn't dependent on how many years we live. Yeah. Right? That's <laughs> right. And so, how does God? God desires to protect people's lives more than anyone. More than anyone. Who is it that actually knows how to protect life? Only God. Only God. Okay. Well, let us start talking with God about what He's done to protect life. And if we don't think that He has, that just tells us that's the place we start. And a lot of our hearts feel that way. And you know why a lot of people's hearts feel like God hasn't protected them? It's because they're judging protection by the world. Mm-hmm. Instead of the resurrection mm. from the dead. Which is the only thing that can protect. Right? Mm-hmm. I love what our dear friend and sister Gwen, Gwendolyn Mary said in, in Myrtle Beach. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. You know, she, her husband died. And, and when her husband died from cancer... She, she was, you know, starting to try to come out of the, the Christian stream where you judged life by the good fruit you could get to manifest in the world, right? So she was all the time trying to work her faith to get her husband healed, doing everything under the sun you could do, confessing, praying, giving, all, everything. And then he passed away still. And I remember her calling me as it was going down, and I thought, Lord, how can I tell this woman? that her husband's life is not hid in him being healed from this cancer. How can I say that to her, Lord, knowing the hurt she feels? I hate being me sometimes. There's this thing in me where I can't not tell people. Even though I feel, and don't think I do it indifferently, I feel a great pain and angst on the inside of myself to say things to people that I know they don't want to hear. Do you know why? Because I know they're going to hate me for saying it. And they're going to create me as the enemy for saying it. What did Paul say? Am I now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? People do not want to hear things that contradict what they want to believe. And so I can't stand it that I'm in that place. And I remember thinking in my head as I'm talking to Gwen, I cannot tell this woman that her husband's life is not contained in whether he gets a healing from cancer or not. You know what I told her? Your husband's life is not hid in whether he gets a healing from cancer or not. Oh, man, I felt so horrible. I thought I'll never be friends with this woman again. Because I know the pain she's feeling, the confusion, the chaos she could be feeling. Right? I knew. But you know, Gwen in that message, what she goes on to say is part of God walking her out of that. And if you go and listen, I gave Gwen a a word of wisdom or a prophecy afterwards, after Antonio died. And I gave her a word. And you see it starting to, to manifest now. But... She gave a message at, at South Carolina and she started talking about the Lord leading her out of what happened there and the confusion and the pain she felt. And one of the things she, that God confronted inside of her is that she don't trust him. And she didn't trust him because of one of the reasons, because of what happened, right? And so, so many people have been taught to build their trust in God based on what's seen in the world, which is not a protection, which is not a preservation, which is not a a real deliverance. They've been taught to base their idea about whether God's trustworthy based on what they see in the world and what happens in the world, instead of basing it upon the resurrection of Jesus, which is the only protection, the only preservation, the only deliverance from death that there actually is.
1: Or the faithfulness of God toward you instead of... Uh, your faithfulness to him. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, that's exactly it's right. It's all about his faithfulness to you, as that's seen in the resurrection. What you, that's what you can trust in. Yeah,
0: as yeah. demonstrated in the resurrection, right. not demonstrated in whether something bad happens to you or not in the world. That's right. That's looking to the world to be the father of your life. <laughs> you're loving the world. And I, I, I want to keep saying this the way that it means. Loving the world does not mean that you like going to a concert or you like having a beer or you like going on vacation or you like dancing in a country bar or that you like dancing to going into the chapel and we're gonna that's not what it means, to love the world means that you desire protection you desire preservation, you desire peace you desire love, you desire joy you desire fear and anxiety to be removed from you and you're looking to the corruptible things in the world as if that's the power to you gaining all of that yeah. that's what it means to love the world that's the pride of life, that's the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes That's covetousness. It will produce covetousness in you. Right? Right? The Life 360 thing, is that what it's called?
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's the lust of the eyes. It's the pride of life. Mm -hmm. It's the lust of the flesh, is what that is. Right? How can you say that? It has a good intent. Well, Adam also had a good intent when he desired to be clothed. And what came forth? Thorns and thistles. People don't realize that. Jesus and Adam both wanted the same thing. They're both clothed in a body of death, stripped naked. They both wanted to be protected. They both wanted to be preserved. They both wanted peace. They both wanted their hearts to be kept from fear. They both wanted joy. They both wanted comfort. They both wanted love. That's what they both wanted. Well, what did Adam do? He looked to Himself and what he saw in the world around him, as if that could give it to him. Jesus recognized what he saw in the world around him, and what the works, the strength in himself, could never give it to him. And so Jesus looked to the Father for that. Adam looked to himself, right? right? And then God come and reason with Adam. Listen, man, all that protection, preservation, deliverance, clothing, comfort, peace—all that that you actually desired—it's found in me, clothing you in the life of my Lamb. Yes, which is what Jesus saw. The only protection from the death in this world is found in the Father's hand, clothing upon me in his life. The only protection there is is for me to actually shed this body of death and be wrapped in a body that's filled with light and life.
2: Mm.
0: Well, only one person can do that. One thing can do that. Abba, Life 360 cannot give you glorified immortal flesh. And as Paul would say, the world will all the time come and try to make you feel ashamed. For saying that. Don't you care? Oh, I care more than you because I'm talking about the only thing that will save. That's why Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen. for therein is the righteousness of God to protect, preserve, deliver, reveal. Yes. Amen. Right? Yes. That's what he says. Yes. And I promise you, everyone all day long was trying to make Paul feel ashamed mm. for preaching what he preached. Right? They, they tried to make Jesus ashamed for saying what he said. You talked about God. You walked around talking about how good God is. You walked around talking about how God desires mercy and not sacrifice. You, talked, you walked around talking about God's love for sinners. Look at you. You ought to be ashamed for saying what you said. Where's your God now? Yeah. <laughs> That's what the world says. Right. It's tough being a parent in today's world. It's really tough. It's always been tough though, I want people to know. Every generation has this idea, it's the toughest for them. How tough do you think it was when Herod issued an edict to kill every child that was under the age of two years old in all of Judea, all of the land? How great do you think the whale was that came out? What about when Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70? How great do you think the whale was that came out of that place for those parents? You guys realize some of the graphic nature of what they did there?
1: I don't want to know.
0: I'm sure you don't. <laughs> but I promise you, parents were wailing then, parents wail now. What are they wailing at? The thought that harm could come to their child's
2: life. Yes.
0: Right? Right. Okay. Sit with that thought and now ask yourself Are you busy with the protection the world gives, or are you busy with the protection God gives? Which one are you busy with, right? And if you're busy with the protection the world gives, you don't have a sound mind as you walk with your kids. You have a mind that's filled with the spirit of fear. But if you're busy with the protection God gives, fear won't be pressing. You can't think straight with fear. When a person's in shock, you ever seen? A, you ever tried to reason with the person in shock? You know, shock is like the height of fear. A person being confronted with fear over something happening. And then, you know, the fear of my life, the fear of death. And then shock comes. You can't reason with the person in shock. You know what you do? You smack them. Wop. You try and shock them out of it. Right? So if your mind, if, the, if what you're busy with is the world's idea of preservation, your mind is filled with fear. You don't have a sound mind. You can't think straight. You cannot walk with your child in a way that will be unto life. And so what you need to do in order to walk with your child in a a way of wisdom or according to wisdom is for you to have that fear removed from you by by, by taking your desire for your children to be protected and looking at what God's done to protect their life. Then you can have a sound mind. You'll see things properly. You'll start finding discernment, right? Real discernment, where the things you do to walk with your kids aren't filled with fear and anxiety. So you're not filling your kids with fear and anxiety, right? right? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: There was a time that we had the Life 360 app, and what it created for me was distrust. Because then my son was like, "You don't trust me. I can't do anything." (laughs) He wouldn't even get it. He refused, which I respect that now because I was like, "He's like, I shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to look and watch where I am." Um, And then when my mom got on it, and she started like messaging me saying like oh, you went there without me?
2: I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm done. You're not doing this. But it just creates,
3: to me, it almost creates distrust. Like, if you trust where I, if I'm supposed to be where I am, then we don't have to yeah. track each other. And then, too, like, if I'm tracking my son and I'm like, hey, you were supposed to be at school at 720 and you're not there, he's never going to learn that, hey, when you're late to school, there's repercussions because I'm always there to tell him before he is late. You know, it's like you're taking away that growing experience. And then also, too, like, you're not allowing God to be God because you think you're God. Right. right. Good. I mean, because if you truly trusted your kids or you truly believed in God, you wouldn't feel the need to watch their every movement.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think so, we're protecting the kids. And what we're really doing is... trying to protect is, ourselves. What we're doing is we're hampering the ability
0: to learn. Yes. to grow on Absolutely. their own because we're doing it for them we got a whole yeah. generation of kids that aren't maturing till like the age of 30. Yeah. Right.
1: yeah
0: that's right i remember noticing that when i worked at the finance company like there seemed to be like a a slowdown in the maturation of the kids like i'm strange like this i recognize spirits and dynamics mm-hmm. right and and talking about memorial day and and people that you know laid down their lives and fought for the country. My grandpa went off into the my grandpa lied about how old he was because when the uh the Japanese were in the South Pacific and we 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 stormed Normandy and we stormed the the beaches in the South Pacific, he wanted to go off and fight in war. He was 17. And so he lied, and he got dropped into the South Pacific and stormed the islands in Japan as a Marine at the age of 17. Listen, I promise you, those people, those kids did not have the luxury of messing around to the age of 30 before they grew up, Mm -hmm. right? And we see like a slowdown in the maturation of children. And one of the reasons is what Heather's talking about. We're, and Maurice just mentioned, we're getting in the way of them dealing with life. And we're doing it in the name of love. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We're doing it in the name of love. It's not malicious.
2: No, no.
0: no but it doesn't matter if the, if, if the intent is malicious. What matters is can it produce life? Exactly. Right. Yeah. right? This, this messes people up. And I, I'm happy to confound the wisdom of the world or the carnal mind all the time. It's not about me trying to trust other people. It's about me trusting God. Exactly. And if I trust God, that eliminates me having to trust other people. And then I'm free to let people also walk with God, right? And what I do when I'm trusting God and not other people is that if they're in a uh, quote-unquote discipleship arena with me or they're a child, I can actually minister to them the wisdom of God, Sure. right? Which is the best thing for their life, is for them to have discernment, not to keep them from ever encountering. I remember my parents, boy, they had to learn this the hard way. I remember because they were confronted with these things because all of us were hellions, like to the umpteenth degree. And I remember the first thing they implemented was, we're going to keep them from ever doing anything. you got to be home at 8 o'clock at night. You can't go here. You can't go there. They wouldn't even let me go to a basketball game with my basketball team, Hoosiers. Still to this day, I can't figure out what the reasoning was there. The whole basketball team is going to see Hoosiers, but I can't go. I was 10 years old. And so their, impl- their, their, their philosophy about life was very much like, we're going to protect. To the umpteenth degree. And then we all became drug addict, alcoholic hellions. And they, they doubled down at first. And then, at some point, they realized, this ain't working. And the only answer is for us to commit the, the lives of our kids into God's hands. And that is a scary, painful hard saying inside of a parent. But I still remember to this day, the shock in my face when my dad and my mom sat me down. I was like 13 and my dad said, you no longer have a curfew.
1: I was scared too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't get, my dad said, don't be brought home by the police. That's it. And they took their hands off. Right? And then he goes and builds that garden over the side, because God said, well, you know, I want to know how it's going with your kids. Don't look at their lives. Go look at this garden. It's painful for us to commit our lives into God's hands. It's a scary, scary thing, right? It's painful for us to commit the lives of our kids into God's hands. It's a scary, scary thing. We get this vivid imagery of the calamity that can come to their life. I mean, we see it and we're like, no, it's a scary thing, but that's, that's liberty. Right? And I remember they did that. And it did not look good for a long time. It's not like, well, they did it and they worked the right principle and now immediately all was well. It didn't look like that. I mean it got ugly and it looked worse. I mean I come home some mornings at like seven o'clock in the morning, right? And my mom's like and I remember coming I mean I'd come home strung out on like cocaine, you know? And I'd be like, Oh, we were shrimping. (laughs) But here we are. Here they are. Right? And you know what? The testimony is that God is good.
1: Amen.
0: Exactly. It's hard. That's what you want to deal with, though, as parents, as people. You want to wrestle with the fear you feel at the thought of what can happen to your life and the thought of what can happen to your kid's life. You don't want to pretend it's not there. You don't want to act like it shouldn't be there, so I'm going to be a good boy and girl and not, not let it come out in the open. Bring that thing right out in the open and tell the Lord, like Glenn did, I don't trust you.
3: Can I ask you, if, she, if do you think it would have changed you going through the drugs and the alcohol and that life if she would have held on tighter and not given you that
0: freedom? Oh, no way. It, it made it worse. If they would have held on tighter, I would have probably ended up dead. Yeah. And we'll just speak from a worldly sense, right? Because I still had the Holy Spirit in me. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you're scared about your kid's life, find out whether or not they've called upon the name of the Lord. Exactly. And whether the Holy Spirit's in them. <laughs> Administer that to them if you're scared for their life. But yeah, if they would have doubled down, what would have ended up happening is I probably I would have left, I would have run away because I would have been too young to like just say I moved out. So they would have called it running away. And I would have ended up on the streets. Right. And I'm sure I would have ended up dead. If they would have done that
2: What's also true in parallel. If one of our children were to commit suicide, which is certainly possible. God is still awesome. God is still the provider of life. Uh, No matter how it turns out, On this stupid little ball here uh, God has it wrapped up
0: yeah there there's a preacher that we've had some exposure to sue and my mom were at a meeting where he preached in the old building right he didn't it wasn't an event that we we the church was sanctioning or connected to but we let this guy use the building well this guy is a grace preacher this guy travels the world preaching grace he goes into Tijuana he goes he was in the Ukraine when it was being bombed the last time (laughs) preaching the gospel he goes into Palestine preaching the gospel his 15 year old son committed suicide during the lockdown right because of the isolation and he couldn't deal with it because it went on so long they were in California right right I remember feeling so bad for this guy knowing I prayed for that guy a lot knowing the voices he was gonna hear right Look at all you do, look at everything you say. You're out there saving everybody else. You couldn't even save your own son, right? right? And that guy's preaching the gospel still because that guy knows what Glenn just said, right? Yeah. That God has intertwined himself with his son.
2: And Sue has created a playlist for me with one song. Come what may, <laughs> come what may, the living Christ, is awesome and eternal. Yes, right. i playlist with the ones. <laughs> that's hilarious. All you need is that. A broken record. Exactly. A broken record. <laughs> uh, I know, people sometimes
0: tell me you sound like a broken record. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hey, that's it. That's it.
2: <laughs>
0: and when you get it, I'll stop saying it. <laughs> Don't ever stop. I'm joking. I know. Please don't I'm stop. I'm joking. Saying. I say it for yeah. my own benefit. No. Because the exactly. gospel, I say this all the time. It's not an intellectual exercise. No. right? Where you come to the knowledge of two plus two and now you're good. Your heart is a dynamic living thing, right? That is all the time reasoning, being confronted with stimuli, being influenced, thinking, feeling, right? And because of that. And because it's thinking and feeling and encountering new things every day, it's always in need of being stirred up by way of remembrance. Peter, was, Peter knew he was about to die in his letter. You'd think the great apostle Peter, if he knew he was about to die, he would come with some extra special knowledge to leave these people with that he had never dumped on them before, right? He's got to get it all out before he goes, don't you know? You know what Peter said? The time is nearing where I'll be offered up, but I cease not to stir you up by way of remembrance. And then he reminded them of the same thing he'd been telling them all along. Because the thing he was the most concerned about was them forgetting what it meant that God forgave the sin of the world, that God sent death away from them, that God removed the death that was reigning over their lives. He was the most concerned they were going to forget that, that they were going to forget that their life had been liberated from this world and had been hid with God in Christ, the only protection, the only preservation, the only healing there is.
2: That they might foolishly see his body being consumed was a sign about anything about the greatness of God yeah so just on the way out hey don't be silly yeah oh.
0: absolutely and this is why one of the most important things about the cross is to see that that's God yes. on the cross yes right because if you see that's God on the cross you stop looking at it as a sign God ain't there yeah right. you know what? you start seeing it instead you start seeing about the God who is there The God who is present. The God that saw his creation being torn apart by death. And that God came and allowed his body to be broken. He offered up his body to be broken. Knowing that in his body being broken would come forth a life that would now be the power or the word that would hold together his death-torn creation. Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) You start seeing that. That's God creating. The cross. That's God creating. Next week, I'm going to talk about that. A new creation born from the mercy of God. Nice. Wow. Because God desires mercy. Right? And what that means is, is God desires to give His own body up to be broken for you. That you can feed on that. Mm-hmm. And that would be the meat. That would feed you with everlasting life. Right. Glory to God. Which is
1: why it's so dangerous that God Jesus.
0: Yeah, most people don't realize why I, I say what I say. I promise you, I do not pick meaningless fights. <laughs> I do not pick meaningless conversations about doctrine. I dig in because I see down the road the stuff that's going on. Preterism, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not just like an intellectual thing I'm disagreeing with, Right? What preterism does is it destroys the hope of the gospel, the hope that Paul preached, which Paul described his hope as him being clothed in a glorified immortal flesh in the day of our Lord. That's what he described was the hope of the gospel. In fact, he said all of creation groans in travail, and I we groan in, tra- in travail with them, desiring for the redemption of my body, he said. Right? Yeah. That's what the church needs to hear. Well, now a predator wants to come and say that, well, Jesus already came back. Paul says hope that is seen isn't hope at all. What does a man hope for that he already sees? Hope is a powerful thing. You bet. Well, if when you see the death in this world, you don't have no hope that the Lord's going to remove it, Uh, where are you at? (laughs) Glory to God.